You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. That was good, good. Hey, welcome to Kingsway. We're glad you're here. If you're tuning in at home online, welcome to Kingsway. We're really glad you're tuning in. And so if you are tuning in, if you're listening further on down the road, you wouldn't have heard that transition video kind of leading us into today's message. But for those of you who are in the room, we just listened to Cats in the Cradle, these parts of it. Does that song get you every time? Like every time. It makes you like hard evaluate your parenting. And that's good. Like we need those calls back. And that's the purpose of this series. So if your kids are grown up or perhaps you don't have kids for whatever the reason being, I just want to encourage you there's one more week. That's it. So just stick with us. You're going to learn a lot about God himself. So this isn't just a wasted time for you. This is a chance to just sit under God's word. There's lots of passages about men or women in the Bible that depending on where you fall on that, you may, may or may not apply to you. So just tune in. Let's see what God has for us today. All right. Here's where I want to start our time today. It was a couple weeks ago. I was putting my little guys to bed. I put the guys to bed most of the time uh, Sunday night through Friday night. And then my wife takes Saturday so that I could kind of relax, calm down before Sundays. It's just one of the little things I do. So she homeschools. She takes them all day long. It's a little thing I could do. And uh, I was putting my little guy in bed. And uh, one of them, I won't say which one. And uh, we're laying there. And he says to me, he goes, Dad, I know you've been super, super busy lately. You think tomorrow we could take some time for me to just tell you about this new thing I'm learning? And first of all, I thought, I'm so glad that my son trusts me enough, that we have that kind of relationship, that he can actually say that to me. But the second thing I thought was, if we are now at the point where I have been so busy that he has to ask me for attention, that's not good. And you can relate, right? I mean, we live in a world where there's always more to do. The world has changed so radically, and I am making no statement about the way things used to be versus the way things are today, or they were better then, and they're not now at all. Nothing like that at all. However, I do want you to see for just a moment what has happened in the world we live in. So back in the day when people were primarily farmers, or perhaps if they had a business, they worked with their hands, and the daughters would often stay around the house and spend time with mom and play there and learn from there. The sons would go off with dad. They'd either you know, build with wood or whatever it is, or perhaps go fishing or hunting or whatever it is they had to do. They did it together. So there was a natural environment for dads to mentor their sons, for moms to mentor the daughters, for this to kind of happen. But then what happened is industrialization happened. It's not, it's a really good thing. I like microwaves. I like that I can make meals fast. There's a lot of really good things that came out of this. But as a byproduct, what happens now is we take our kids to the school and we say, you teach them. We take our kids to the church, and we say, you teach them. We take our kids to the coach, and we say, you teach them. And so what happens is we kind of, in a lot of ways, take a lot of those responsibilities that used to fall on us. There were natural interacting environments, and we've handed them off everywhere else. And it's created this disjointed, broken kind of structure where I think for the last 100 years, we've all been trying to figure it out, right? And it's hard. It's difficult. It's complex. It's not easy. If you feel any guilt or shame over anything you hear today, last week or next week, please know that was not my intention and I didn't do a good enough job of communicating. That is not what we want you to hear. What we want you to hear is all parenting comes out of relationship. And that's hard to do today. It's hard to do because it takes relentless intentionality in order to figure out How I'm going to work, especially if you're, say, a two-working family home or perhaps you're a single parent, like, how am I going to get all the things done while also investing in you and in us? And it's difficult. 
So my solution is what uh, my one son calls my good friend, Steve, a member of our church, Steve Road. He'd reached out to me and said, hey, I got a boat. How would you like to take the kids tubing sometime? So last weekend, we loaded up the boys. I let mom have the day to stay home. She ended up doing taxes. It's a real nice day off. And, um, uh, and we went boating. And here's a picture of me and my little guy. This is my youngest. I know you can't see that super good from where you are, but this is my littlest. He asked Mr. Steve, he said, hey, could I try standing up on the tube? And I thought to myself, I don't know how mom would feel about that. And Mr. Steve goes, sure, why not? And I thought, oh man. And then the brothers look at me and say, are you going to tell mom about this? And I literally said, well, of course I am. Because in my head, I'm thinking, you're going to tell her anyway. <laughs> like, might as well. And so Mr. Steve took the bow. You can see there's not, there's not a lot of choppy water here. That's just the engine there. And he went real slow so he could try to stand up and figure it out. And we had a blast. That's all they could talk about for the next 48 hours was how much fun. It was so much more fun than they ever thought. It was just such a blast. And I'm so thankful for friends who bless us with their lives. But all parenting comes out of a relationship. And so when your kids are crying out for investment, man, take the time. Now, where this whole series is coming from is I believe that God is a father. The Bible says that. I'm not making that up. And God is a father. So therefore, since God is a parent, he's a perfect parent. That doesn't mean that God can't relate with mothers. You need to understand the way the Bible portrays this thing. When God made the male and female, he made both man and woman to reflect himself into the world. So there are certain things that are kind of categorically true of men, and there are certain things that are kind of categorically true of women. And when you look at those things, you go, wow, both of those things in one form or another represent God. It takes both. But because God is a father, and because he is the creator of male and female, therefore, he's a good father, and he wants to teach you and coach you. So if you were to just study God, you would learn how to be a better parent. And so I think about these things. I literally sit around and I think, okay, look at how God treated that king. Look at how God treated that prophet. Look at how God treated that priest. Look how God, um, look how Jesus specifically interacted with the disciples. Look how he handled that. What could I, as a parent, if I were to take that same principle and do that, what would that look like in my world, in my culture? And that's some of what I want to share with you. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but psychologists tell us that if a child just starts speaking, some of the first sounds to come out of their mouth will be da, da, da. And this drives all of the ma, ma, ma. It's crazy in the room, does it not? I mean, like all of you are like, I put all the work in and you get the glory, right? Have you ever noticed, by the way, how that flips like later in life when the camera's on them, you know, like an NFL player, they're like, hi, mom. And it's like, okay, no, wait a minute. What happened to dad, dad, dad? But anyway, what I find fascinating about this is some of the first words off our lips are a connection to dada, to parent. This shouldn't surprise us then when Jesus comes along and in his hardest moments, he prays and he talks to his heavenly father. In fact, in the garden, right before he's arrested and crucified, here's his prayer. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. He says, Abba, father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. The cup isn't literal. Your kids have never said that unless they want you to put it in the sink. The cup is the cup of the wrath of the suffering of the cross that he's about to go through. The cup refers to the wrath of God in the Old Testament. Jesus is pulling it into his prayer and saying, take this away from me. Because even though Jesus was perfect and never sinned, he's gonna go all the way to the cross. And he's saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. In other words, I want you to get this. Jesus is talking to his father and he's saying, I have this really hard thing in front of me, but I really want to obey you. So help me 
If you aren't gonna take it away, help me. Doesn't this sound like every conversation you've had with your kids? I have this really hard thing to do, and if you won't take it away, then help me. Help me to do what pleases you, Father. Doesn't that sound just like your kids? If only your kids could be mentored by Jesus. Here's what I really want you to get out of this. Abba, literally here, in literal English means daddy or papa, or more specifically, the most literal translation would be my own dear father. And I know anytime we talk about this stuff, that this hits some of you in a different way. What I have seen, what I have experienced, what I have learned over time is that whatever your relationship with your parents, especially your dad's, but really both parents was like, you will tend to view God the same way. So if your parents were harsh and cruel or mean or hit or threatened or cussed, you may think of God in the same way. If your parents were too busy or abandoned you or neglected you or didn't um, make time to pour into you or didn't show you affection or love, you may tend to view God the same way. And the danger in that for all of us is our parents weren't perfect. Like that didn't take like a genius, right? Like you knew that, I know that. Your kids' parents, by the way, aren't perfect either. But God is. And Jesus is trying to give us a view of heaven that looks different perhaps than the view that we were given originally. And I love this quote by a guy named Brendan Manning from the book, The Furious Longing of God. Highly recommend the book. But he says this, a little Jewish child speaking Aramaic in the first century Palestine at the same age level as like here would begin to say, Abba, 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 Abba. Jesus's revelation was nothing less than a revolution from that moment on, no Christian can ever say one form of prayer is as good as another or one religion is as good as another because Jesus is saying that we may address the infinite, transcendent, almighty God with the intimacy, familiarity, and unshaken trust that a 16-month-old baby has sitting on his father's lap. Dad, dad. Daddy, I want you to get this vision of your heavenly father sitting in whatever, the, whatever you picture, a rocking chair, and he can't wait to pick you up and put you in his lap. And here you say, Abba, help. And he wants to help. But here's the thing. Every good parent does two major things. I'm going to tell you about them right now. And I just want you to hear me say this up front. If you were to follow me around for a week or two, you would see that I struggle. You would see that I, am, I can at times be a hypocrite and I don't mean to be. It's not because my heart isn't in the right place. It's because I'm a human and I'm a sinner just like many of you. In fact, my wife and I were up late last night having these kinds of conversations because they're real in our lives as well, all right? And sometimes I wonder how much of the spiritual, like I'm talking about this stuff, so Satan tries to attack in a unique way. But the thing that you really need, and you see this from God, I'm gonna show it to you, but the thing we really need is a structure, a structure. And a structure is simply, what are the rules of our lives and homes? That's it, a structure. Now it may sound easy, it's not easy, but here's what I have seen over the years. Whatever your parents were like, and the more broken the relationship with your parents, the more you may want to swing the pendulum as far away from that as possible. So as American history has developed in the Industrial Revolution, all that stuff I talked about, 
what happened then is parents go to work, kids go to school, kids go to sports, kids go to programs. And so what happens is many parents today were raised without a great relationship with their parents. And so some today have taken the pendulum and swung it the opposite direction. And they now almost worship their kids or worship their families. And the kids run the homes and it's not healthy. It's not good. We all need a system of rules that we do or don't do philosophies or laws or whatever it is. And we repeat them because repetition is the key to retention. So we repeat them over and over and over again. And here's the thing. If you are married and you are raising a family with somebody else, you must be on the same page. This is critical. You must be on the same page. It creates so much confusion and disjointedness. That's why my wife and I were up late talking through these things. You've got to be on the same page, heading in the same direction, or it creates this distrust, brokenness, insecurity, and instability. Rules, I know this may seem backwards, but rules actually create stability in a child's life. It creates a sense of I can know what I need to do and when I need to do it. I know it's not fun. Your kids push back all the time, just like mine do. Not every kid acts like Jesus. However, it's still good and healthy. Now, here's a question to ask. What non-negotiable structures are in our lives? These are not up for debate. I, I wrote down, these are more like, what I'm, I'm about to share with you some things. These are some like philosophies that my family has, and then we create our rules out of these philosophies. I'll give that a second, but for instance, one of ours is we love God first, period, first and foremost. Like for us, that means something. That means that we go to church every Sunday. If we can't literally be in a church, we watch online. If we can't watch online, we do a devotion. Have we ever messed that up? Of course we have. We've had a few times we've missed it, and my wife and I immediately feel regret over that, and we try to fix it for the next time but that's one of our rules. One of our second rules, if you go in order, is we love each other second. We value relationship with each other. Third rule is we love our church. Fourth rule is we love the world around us. So these things, because of these philosophies, that means we try to serve in places that we can. We try to take part in things where we're helping other people. We try to be generous beyond what's comfortable, which means we can do other things. And our kids know these principles and these rules that are guarding us. But the way that these rules get enforced is through statements. You repeat certain phrases. Have you noticed that over and over and over again? So what statements do we repeat to reinforce the structures that are in place? Are you with me? You can expect whatever you inspect. And you inspect by asking questions over and over and over again. Your kids will learn to produce what you value. So whatever you're asking about is what you're telling them I value the most. So how are you reinforcing with different statements? The one we joked about, this sermon is titled, because I said so. There's a value statement implied there. I'm in charge. I'm the parent. It doesn't matter my reasoning or logic. You do it because I ask you to do it. Is that a phrase that gets repeated in your home? Is that something? I put four down that you will hear a lot in our house. Like, number one, dad is always right. Rule number two, if in doubt that dad's not right, see number, number one, right? Rule number three, if dad's ever wrong, just assume you misunderstood. Go study rule number one. Now, I do say those all the time in my house, but nobody, okay, most nobody, I'm the only one who thinks that those are real rules. Here are the real ones. They already put them up for you. But here's one. If you mess up, you fess up. That rule is really important in our house. And we say it all the time. In fact, if you look at James 5, 16, it literally says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. 
And the whole idea here is we want to be a family. We don't expect anybody to be perfect in our home, but we expect you to own it. And that can mean a lot of things, by the way, because, and, and this actually kind of comes up with one of the rules, but if you mess up, if you hurt somebody, if you say something you weren't supposed to say, you're a smart aleck or whatever it might be, and you're not ready to own that, then we're not moving on with our day until you're ready to own it. That might mean you going to your bedroom. That might mean you going in the other room. It might mean we don't do iPad time. Might mean we put off dinner. Might mean we don't get to go do something we were planning on doing, whatever it is. But we're not moving on until we work through this thing as a family. Now, if you come down here, one of ours, my wife says this all the time, is a good name is worth more than silver or gold. That comes literally right out of Proverbs 22.1. You can go look it up for yourself. The whole idea here is character. That's what the proverb is getting to. So if you think of the business world, are you compromising on your character in order to get a good deal? Well, the proverb is intended to call you back and say, there is literally no amount of money you can get that's worth trading in your character on. And that kind of thing comes up. So we use this verse, this phrase, to say it all the time. Look, a good name is worth more than silver or gold. So make sure that you, if you say you're going to do it, that you do it, that you follow through. Make sure that you're not a hypocrite. Make sure that you're owning these things. You'll hear these in our home a lot, even though we struggle to do it, which actually leads to the next one. Treat others the way we want them to treat us. What do we call this? The golden rule, right? You'd think that ought to be in the Bible somewhere. It is, Matthew chapter six, verse 12. But we'll often say this when somebody gets out of line. My kids will quote this back at me all the time, and I'd say, go see rule number one. Anyway, um, oftentimes when my kids are going sideways, we'll use this. Hey, 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 I know you have a reason why you did what you did. But is that how you want them to treat you? Is that how you want them to respond when they have a bad moment? Treat others the way you want them to treat you. And then here's one, forgive each other as God has forgiven you. I could pick a lot of verses that support this. This is just one of them, literally says that. Go look it up for yourself. Jesus actually says it stronger than this. Jesus says, to the degree to which you forgive others, I will forgive you. Whew, let that one hurt a little bit. So put just these four, I mean, there's many others, but put these four together and let them sink in for a minute. Do we have hard moments in our home? You bet we do. Do we have to own them and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry? You bet we do. And when we do, do we forgive each other and move on? You bet we do. But those rules lead our home. But here's the thing. I know some of you grew up in a home with a lot of rules, how those rules get imposed, by the way, we'll talk about next week. Like, what do I do if somebody breaks the rules? But rules without relationship feeds rebellion. And some of you grew up in an environment where there were a lot of rules, but there was no interaction. There was nothing to foster the health. And that's not healthy either. As a pastor, I often sit with people in my office or, or with me all the time, and they're really struggling because they feel like they were taught the rules of Christianity, but they were never taught about a relationship. But go watch Jesus. Jesus is sitting in the garden praying to his father about a rule. You're going to go to the cross to redeem all of mankind. And Jesus is going, but Abba, Dad, Father, is there any other way? And I love that. Because the rule didn't change, the structure didn't change, but the relationship didn't change either. Both were present. So what I call this is the word engagement. 
Engagement is the way that you are interacting with your child to foster the relationship. And somebody came up to me after last service was like, man, I needed that one. That was a kick in the pants for me. When my little guy is laying in bed next to me and he says, dad, I know you've been super busy, but my wife once said to me, stop calling what we're doing right now a season. Seasons last three or four months. This has been well over six months and there's no end in sight. I had a busy season about a month ago. I went almost two weeks in a row without a day off. And sometimes I'm a hypocrite because I preach sermons about how you need days off and then I don't always get to do it. And sometimes not having a day off just means like Saturday came and I didn't have work, but I had a lot of things that had to be done. And so I wasn't interacting with my kids. It's because I'm human like you all and I'm trying to figure it out. But at the moment where your kid can look at you and say, can we just have some time tomorrow? That screams loud and clear. But some of you don't have the relationship to where your kid can even come to you and say that. And the way you get there is just by starting today. Think about the way God decided to show you how he loved you. What did he do? He left heaven, he took on flesh, and he dwelt among you. He became one of us. He literally ate with us and laughed with us and went around with us. Perhaps the best wisdom I could give you on engagement parents and where most parents, including uh, yours truly, struggles is leave your world and enter theirs. That's exactly what Jesus did. He left his world and entered ours. It's not to say this world doesn't belong to him and I'm not getting a theological statement, but he became one of us. And sometimes you're going to have to enter the world of your child and do the things that they enjoy. Talk about the things that they enjoy. Even though it drives you crazy, you don't have any desire for it whatsoever, enter their world. It's so powerful of a principle. I remember my um, oldest, I believe he was the only child we had at the time. He was roughly two years old. Uh, when we bought our house, it had like this electric fireplace. It was really tall. I mean, it was, it was probably, okay, it was about as tall as me. I know that's not really tall, but... That didn't come out the way I meant for it to. We had our TV hanging above the fireplace. And I remember I was sitting on the floor in front of the fireplace and I had ESPN on. And I was just listening to it like it was a radio station. But you know, if you've ever watched ESPN, they like to show videos to back up what they're talking about. And so while I'm just sitting there and we're playing on the floor, I gotta be honest, I'm not really in the moment. And at some point he picks up on that because I don't even notice it. I'm looking up at the TV. He was looking down at the toys and I think he's doing that. Mom is upstairs taking a nap and I'm watching the TV and my two-year-old takes my chin and turns it back down towards him. He makes eye contact with me for a second, and then he goes back to playing, as if to say, hey, are you here or what? He was two. It was shortly after that I got rid of ESPN. I deleted it, and it's been a journey. God's had to lead me from when we had no kids, I was sports-obsessed to today where at times I struggle because it's nice to finally root for a team that wins once in a while, but, <laughs> but to finally let go of it and say, I don't need that. I want more of them. Time is short. The language of every human is relationship. Every single human is craving interaction and investment from another human. And the more we value that relationship, the more focused and intentional the engagement needs to be. So this is another picture of a boat. This is not Heritage Lake where the other one was because, you know, there's mountains here. But anyway, <clears throat> I think this is a really good analogy 
So if you've ever been tubing before, you can imagine my son back here on a tube, right? He's trying to stand up. There is this sweet spot right where the engine is, and it's smooth water. And Mr. Steve, who was driving the boat, knew that he had to keep him in the sweet spot and also not go so fast. No, of course, when you're tubing and you're hanging on for dear life, it's a lot of fun to kind of come over the sides, right? But if you're a child, staying here is the safest. Out here is dangerous. And this is exactly what you're doing when you give them a structure, a boundary of some sort. You're saying, my job is to keep you safe. My job is to hem you in. My job is to keep you right here in the smooth sailing sweet spot. Trust me, son. Trust me, daughter. If you get out here, it may feel fun for a moment, but this is where chaos happens. This is where things fall apart. And what you're trying to do is give them a safe place to navigate life under your leadership. So the question to ask yourself is, what path am I cultivating in my home? Am I creating a safe path for them to navigate life or am I creating this chaotic water that's just going all over the place and they don't know where to go or what's safe or how to succeed? I mean, think about this. Given the world we live in, do all of the teachers at your kid's school agree with your value system? Do all of the senators and governors and presidents agree with your value system? Do all of the local business owners agree with your value system? Do all of the college professors where you will eventually send your kids agree with your value system? Do all of the people on the internet, on TikTok or Snapchat or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, I don't need to name all of the options out there, do they all agree with your value system? I mean, the clear answer, doesn't matter who you are in this room, is no. It doesn't matter what your value system is. But there is a message that is coming at your kids non-stop. So how are you creating a safe place? By cultivating the relationship and continuing to hold the boundaries and reinforce them with good questions and statements to make sure that they have the healthiest chance possible to succeed. Now, I had planned on walking us through Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Part of it is I've been studying Exodus because we're gonna do Exodus next year. I'm just really stoked about it. But last service, I got to this point and went, I don't have another 30 minutes <laughs> to go down that road. But let me just show it to you real quick by telling you about it without reading it all. In Exodus 19, God has led the Israelites out of captivity. He has freed them through the many miracles the, and with the plagues in, in Egypt. And he's taken them across the, the dry land by splitting the sea. And now he's led them to a mountain. The very mountain he told Moses last week, I will bring you back here and your people will worship me. And God comes to the top of the mountain and it's boom, boom, flash. There's lightning and there's thunder and God is terrifying. And he wants the people to come to the mountain to have a relationship with him. And the people are afraid. And they say, no, we can't deal with this guy. Moses, you go deal with him. You go up the mountain. Mountain. You go talk to him. And God's like, no, I want a relationship with you. And they're like, fine, we'll be your people. And God, if you look at Exodus 19, is powerful because God says, did I not take care of you? Did I not provide for you? Did I not free you? What is he saying? Relationship, relationship, relationship. And then Exodus 20, he says, and now here's the rules. We call them the 10 commandments. But rule number one, put me first, Period. Nothing else is to go before me. Oh, there's a bunch of, I'm not gonna go through all 10. Don't worship any other gods. Keep my name holy. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't lie and cheat and steal from each other. Don't be greedy and desire what everybody else has. 
There's these rules. The rules first go with God. So whatever rules you have in place, maybe you don't have any yet and you need some. How are they fostering a relationship with your children to lead them to God? The most important legacy you will leave behind is where your kids are in their walk with God. And if you just look, Gallup just came out with another study. It showed that in America right now, church attendance is plummeting. People's connection to God is going down for the first time in about 100 years. Roughly 40% of Americans now walk with God. And so no wonder our country is changing so dramatically, so quickly. So parents, how are you leaving a legacy behind you? Now, what I want to do is build off that for a moment and take you to two passages in the New Testament. They're going to build off that very story of Moses in the Old Testament. The first one comes from Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter four, Paul is actually livid. He sees himself as a spiritual father of the church in Galatia, and he's mad because they've turned away from the gospel he taught them, and they've turned to another gospel. We're gonna pick up in the middle of this conversation, Galatians four, verse three, it says this. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. I'll explain this, stick with me. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now, now, what exactly is he getting to? Well, there's two things at play, and I want you to see these. The first one is the basic spiritual principles of this world. In other words, apart from God's leadership and intervention, this world has a way of seeing things and doing things. I know this isn't gonna be popular, and I don't have time to go down this road, but according to the world standards, if someone smacks you in the face, what do you do back to them? You smack them back. But then Jesus has this bold phrase about if somebody hits you on one cheek, Turn to them the other. The spiritual principles of this world don't line up with God's principles. And again, I'm not, that's not the point of today's message. What Paul's trying to get to then is he says, so God inserted the law, that's the Old Testament 10 commandments, and then all of the laws that came out of those. All the other hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of do's and don'ts are those 10 categories broke down deeper and deeper and deeper, fleshing it out. You know, like when your kids come to you and say, what about this, or what about this, or what about this, or what about this? That's basically what the rest of those laws are doing. And so there's two principles at work. There's the principle of this world that is opposed to God's ways. Then there's the law that God inserted to try to, the rules to try to lead us back to him. The problem with the law is it had no power to really lead us back to God. We needed something else. So that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, that's Mary, so that he could live under the law and obey God's laws because we failed to do it. He did it for us. Then Paul goes on and he says, verse five, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And before we go on, let's just camp here for a second. In other words, bought by freedom. This is the idea of redemption. So what Paul is getting to is the law, the Old Testament laws, though the structure was good, it was unable to save us. And the reason it was unable to save us is because it worked more like a guideline. It, and all it ended up doing was exposing us. It showed us all the ways that we were failing and it should have made us cry out, we need help, we need something else. And so God's solution was, I'll send Jesus, he'll live the perfect life, the one that we failed to live, so that when he died on the cross, he could buy our freedom that'll relieve us as slaves so that he could adopt us as his very own children. 
Listen, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. And that means something. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Abba, my own dear father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So that'd be all the point where you're like, yeah! Nobody? Yeah. So if Jesus is the great high king of heaven, and you're a child of the great high king, do you know what that makes you? Some of y'all always wanted to be a Disney princess. Oh, it's better than that. That makes you princes and princesses of the great high king. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. And with great power (laughs) comes great responsibility. Whatever exactly is going to happen someday when Jesus returns, however exactly that's gonna work, whenever exactly it happens, I don't know. But the Bible says over and over and over again that when this world is remade, renewed, restored, a new heaven and a new earth comes down, whatever that means, we're gonna rule and reign. If you remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, you will inherit the earth. If you're pure and righteous, you will actually rule as a king, maybe like a prince or a princess on God's earth. Paul even goes further and says, you will actually judge the spiritual world. Like whatever exactly is going to happen, it's gonna come with a lot of power and influence. It is critical then that we lead our kids into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because whether you have great companies and big houses and nice cars and clothes and all those other things, fine, have at it. But do not let Jesus become anything other than first and foremost in your life because it's in him and in him alone that your freedom was purchased. Paul builds on this in another book in Romans chapter eight and he says it there this way. He says, verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received... God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And I want to invite you today into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Every relationship begins with a decision. Have you noticed that? Every relationship, right? Will you marry me? You want to go out? Want to be our employee? You want a job here? Every relationship begins with an initial decision. If you ever adopted or done foster care, it always begins with an initial decision. And I want to call you into that initial decision today. Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're already walking with him. Perhaps you've already been united with him in baptism, that you are a child of God. And maybe what you need today is to change your view of life, to see God as a partner with you in this thing. But if you've never taken that first step, what are you waiting for? God is waiting to turn his face towards you, to give you peace, to bless you, to help you, to show you what we call his favor. If that's you today, if you're at home or even in the room, you could always text the word connect 
to 317-565-4911. Or you can go by our Connect Hub when you're done and just say, I'm ready to receive Jesus. I don't even know what's next. We will talk to you all about that. What I wanna do is close with a prayer blessing over you. So if you would, just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this message lands in a lot of different places right now. So God, my prayer is that you would just speak. I'm just gonna pray the ones you put on my mind, but Father, you've got more. So God, I wanna pray right now for the parent who's struggling. Something they heard today convicted them and you spoke. God, I pray that you would remove shame and guilt. It would have no place in this place. God, instead, I pray that they would feel a deep conviction and they would know you are with them. You love them. You are Abba. So God, for every parent in the room right now who's struggling and doesn't know exactly what to do, may we just climb up in your lap like a 16-month-old and find that you were present and there and wanting to help all along. God, I pray for the parent who feels insecure in their leadership right now. I pray, God, that you would give them the confidence of grace that in their weakness, your strength is perfected. They don't have to know everything. They don't have to have all the answers. They can come to you and trust that the wisdom you're going to give them, you promise us, you promise us, and James, that if we need wisdom, we ask for it, and you will give it to us, and then we're not to doubt, because when we doubt, we become like the waves blown around like the wind, that if we ask, and then we sense you leading us, and others are giving us wisdom, that God, we're to trust Trust that and act on it and know that you are with us so that even our worst days don't become our last days. Even our worst decisions can't be our last decisions because you are with us and you are in us and you are for us and we're gonna rule and reign in eternity one day so we can rule and reign here and now through your power and your strength that is at work within us. God, I pray for a parent out here right now who's feeling maybe insecure. Maybe they've been a hypocrite and they have rules that they aren't following. God, may they fall on their knees. May they take this time right now to get their heart straight and aligned with you. If they messed up, to fess up. If they need to forgive, forgive. They need to seek forgiveness, to seek it. Whatever it is, God, may they align their heart to yours today and get right back on the path. For the parent who's not set good rules, good boundaries, and their kids are floundering, they're being overwhelmed by the rules of other kids in their kids' lives, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would help that parent to have the strength and the courage to step into it and to trust that you are with them. And God, for the parent who's been too controlling or too harsh or too abusive, may they be deeply convicted to engage their child's heart, to play together, to be together. God, whatever step we need to take, may we do it all in the power and in the might and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray.